Hi everyone, this is your host Ophélie for the Unhard Refugee Voices. I'm here today to talk about institutional racism on the island of Lesbos, Greece, and how this is impacting asylum seeker, black asylum seekers and black refugee. Um, Lesbos is the home of one of the largest refugee camps in Europe, uh, commonly known as Moria, Moria Camp. Uh, so today I'm here with Marie. Marie is a field director of a women's shelter on the island. She is a white European who's been working on the island for two years now. Um, hi, Marie. Hi, Billy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so you've been working here for two years, right? Uh, one year and a half. One year and a half. Do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm a white woman um, born in Spain and uh, with a French nationality. Uh, I've been here uh, with... Uh, I've been here for one year and almost four months. And um, yes, I'm the coordinator of a women's shelter. And we are ho helping and housing uh, single moms, single women, and LGBTQ plus uh, community members. And yeah. Uh. Hi, Marie. <laughs> Thank you for coming here. So yeah, we met when you, you first arrived on the island about a yeah. month after. Yeah, um, not even, like yeah. three or four weeks after. Marie's shelter is amazing. It's a safe place for vulnerable human women sorry who who come from the camp who who are they are very very vulnerable cases mm -hmm. and most of the women you have are you have many black women you have people mm. from different nationalities and the shelter is it, it is such a safe space for them it's yeah we amazing. try to make a safe place for and them and i think you, yeah. you did good because the camp is very dangerous for mm. this woman. It's not a safe place to be in terms of like um, the condition of the camp, no, no, and no. also you know they are very they are very exposed to any kind of danger, gender based violence, um, rape, and also mm. the camp is very dirty. It's very it very dirty. Yeah. yeah, they don't have proper showers, proper toilets. Um, they don't have a roof a proper roof like their living conditions are so bad and they cannot have a proper life and which means that having a shelter and a roof up on your head it's a it's a good thing <laughs> yeah it's a good thing especially in a context like yeah, this exactly yeah so today marie i wanted to have a conversation with you about um institutional racism mm -hmm and how this is impacting black people on this island. And I also wanted to challenge you about your idea on race and your whiteness and your mm -hmm. white privilege as, um, as you've been working on this island and you have an important position. And obviously your work has been positively impacting by your color. Mm -hmm. So the first question I wanted to ask you is what is institutional racism for you? Uh, well, first of all, uh, I want to say that um, I'm I'm not an expert of racism, and so because I'm white, I think I am racist just because I was born right white. So I apologize beforehand if I say something that might be racist. It's not coming from a bad place. It's coming from a a place of not knowing and not being educated about this topic. Just <laughs> to start. Well, thank you for saying this. Thank you so much for saying this because one of the reasons that I wanted to confront, mm -hmm. to have a discussion with you about that is also due to the fact that, you know, on this island, most people, um, most volunteers and most humanitarian workers are all white. Mm. And they, all of them. All of them. I think you're the work. only one. <laughs> I think it's only a couple of us. I don't think that. I think at some point last year I was the only black European on this island who oh, came yes. here to help. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yes, yeah, so most volunteers and most humanitarian workers, and there is a lot of them. Most of them are white. Um, the reason being that you know volunteer trips have becoming very very um very popular if one thing because they are appealing to a broad audience whether it's people looking for a great boost on their cv or um, life-changing experience or an, an exciting opportunity to feel better about themselves like they have mm -hmm. many reasons and 
most of them are led by self-interest sorry, and they don't have any experience of and any knowledge about the, the situation here or any humanitarian work experience prior to coming here and they have no understanding of the intensity and the complexity and gravity of the situation. But that's the problem because you have volunteers coming and then humanitarian workers and we are not the same thing. Of course. And volunteers are really doing harm. And I, they, think. I think some humanitarian workers Oh also. yeah, also, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But volunteers are, I think they are in the majority of this island, white volunteers. Oh yes, absolutely. It's much more white mm-hmm. volunteer than there is white humanitarian workers. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. And most of them don't have an understanding of what in what institutional racism no, no. is and what is their role in it and how they are complicit in the systems. Because it's normalized. We live in it. It so. is so normalized. So yeah. I have like I don't know if you wanted to share with us your mm-hmm. um, definition of racism. Oh yes, okay. <laughs> but yeah, you can uh, go ahead first, so, <laughs> and then I have I'll go. Two very good de- definitions that I use, mm-hmm. and the first one is institutional racism is discrimination or unequal treatment on the basis of membership of a particular ethnic group typically one that is a minority or marginalized, arising from systems, structures or expectations that have become established within an institution or organization. I really like this one because it talks about how, you know, institutional racism is arising from system structure and expectation and it's just deeply rooted in people's mind. Mm-hmm. The second one that I have is institutional racism. Also, knows, also known as systemic racism, is a form of racism that is embedded as normal practice within society or an organization. It can lead to, to such issues as discrimination in criminal justice, employment, housing, healthcare, political power and education, among other issues. I have this one. <laughs> it's yes. one of my favorite one because I think it's um, it it really captures what institutional racism really yes. is in terms of institutional racism and also like how it has become a normal practice within society. Mm-hmm. Well, you just stole my definition. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Billy. <laughs> you did have a good. A good definition. Yeah, but if I can add something, your definitions were amazing. Like they're really good, and I think they describe exactly what institutional racism is, yeah. in a really clear um, way. Um, but also, if I can add uh, just two things, is just like these social societal patterns, societal patterns and structures are imposed as an oppressive. And uh, and have really negative effects, and is really different. Like I think that institutional racism is really different of individual racism. Mm-hmm. Institutional racism is you don't even notice yes. this racism because it's within the society, is within your behavior, yeah. and you don't notice it. Like I am in this institutional racism, and because you're white. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Of white, course. You're your whiteness is benefiting from institutional yeah. racism. Yes. Yeah. And I, I agree when you, you said that it's different from individual racism mm. because individual racism is just an aspect, mm-hmm. a consequence, a result mm-hmm. of institutional racism. And racism is more than just being rude with someone. Oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's very... Institutional racism really talks about how everything we live in all those institutions they've they're also they're just perpetrating racism you know and to understand racism we have to go way back we have to go back to where when our nation were first started where the Mm -hmm. western world was built and Mm -hmm. history is important in understanding racism and so it has so our institutions such as schools government state court system organization because they are formal and informal rules that organize social, political and economic relations 
And they, they play an important role in perpetrating racism. Yeah. And they are the one teaching us how to be we. Like school. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It starts in education. Like, mm-hmm. what did you learn in school? With the basic. Like the basic of the era of slave trade. And I, I had really good teachers that were really advocating these kind of anti-racism behaviors. In Spain? Yeah, in Spain. But I was in the French school, in international school, so we had like people coming all around the world. So if you were racist in that school, it would be like... Mm. But I had teachers. But were your teacher were... mostly white? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, is yes, of course, like most of my teachers were white and all... The people that I was looking at the in the movies, or I w- was watching in the movies and series, or in museums, or artists, everybody was every, white. Everybody's but also white. the story, like history in the Western world, is yes. very white. It all is the white. King, yes. All the good people, all the people who discovered things, territory, who colonized, who and they were, discovered America. They discovered <laughs> America was already there. Yes, you didn't discover exactly. anything. But they were all white. Yeah. So the way that history um, described black people was as them being slaved, as them being criminals, as them being inferior, and black white people were always superior. Always. Yeah. In history and education, but it's also nice, it, um, it's also good that you mentioned the fact that, you know, in television and the media, everybody was white, because for a black European, that was also very much my reality. Mm. Everybody was white. I had nobody, when I grew up, I had nobody I could identify with. Mm-hmm. So I struggled because I also grew up in a white-dominated area. So I was like, you know, like... I kind of wanted to fit in those Eurocentric standard of beauty, for instance. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to have my hair straight. I wanted to be thin. I wanted to be white, mm. you know. And I didn't realize this until I emancipated myself from all of those Eurocentric beauty of standard, a standard of beauty, white beauty standard. Yeah. You know, I had to decolonize my mind from all of that. And this is also That's part of crazy. institutional racism. It's crazy that I, I was... I was forced to do that because as a black woman, a black European woman, learning to love yourself in a system of oppression Mm -hmm. is very hard. So you Mm -hmm. struggle with your identity. You know, you try to, you try to fit in. You don't really try to be yourself. It's more about assimilating rather Mm. than owning one's identity. Yeah, and you're always frustrated because you're never going to achieve that pattern. Yeah, but do you realize how you benefited from that? Yeah, yeah. And for a white woman, also is really struggling for us to have these models and these patterns, beauty patterns. So I cannot imagine what you've been through because you have to look after you, your own model, like your only models are just white, tall, thin white women. Yes, yes. So of course we benefit from it because for me it was normal because I can see myself in her. Because we are have the same color of skin, we have maybe the same eyes, the same the same hair, but it's like me putting like an um, African model. How the hell am I gonna be so tan? Uh, I have to spend all day in the sun or the hair, or it's absolutely impossible. Yeah, this is funny you mentioned that because. It's also very common, you know, like white people, white women, always trying to tan themselves. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. (laughs) And yet, you know, white women are being seen as like less beautiful in Europe because, you know, in Europe, it's very, those white beauty of standards Mm -hmm. are very real, especially in terms of professionalism. Like, we can't wear our real hair, our natural Mm -hmm. hair, because it, it is deemed unprofessional. And... And yet, you know, our color is something that our color and our culture is something that European people are very attracted to, you know? Yeah. And cultural cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Cultural appropriation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very real. Mm-hmm. But anyway, to go back to the refugee yeah. situation <laughs> and um yeah, the refugee crisis that we are witnessing here on this island and it's very real here because we are at the border. Mm-hmm. So many people are coming by boat from Turkey to the island of Lesbos mm-hmm. um, and with the aim of being granted with asylum. Mm-hmm. And what's happening to them is that, 
even though they think that seeking asylum in Europe will mean that they will be safe, that they will be free, it, it's, it's the opposite. The reality yeah. is the opposite. And I had a wonderful and really um, beautiful conversation with, with one of the girls in the shelter. And she was telling me that it's crazy how in Africa, you know, in the countries in Africa, you have this idea of Europe that is perfect. Like, even in relationship, she was telling me like, yeah, but European guys, European boys, they treat you way better. They would yeah. never cheat on you. And I was like, mm. yeah. <laughs> well, I and don't I know. I also saw that there is this ide idealization of whiteness exactly. and the Western world, world sorry, amongst African, yeah. African but communities. Because of what they see, like they, they have these... Um, advertise like you have huge adverts yeah. with like a telenovela or with a netflix yes, uh, actors yes. and you have all these series all these movies it's all the media yeah and with paris so wonderful yeah, but then you yeah, have the yeah. neuf trois and yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like a neighbor that is horrible like, it's also because you know black africans especially the community that we have here on this island so they came so obviously they were forced to leave their country yes it was they, not a choice it was not a choice no and so they have this idea that coming to Europe, you know, they will reach safety. But also, some of most of them are very unaware of the dynamic of mm -hmm. racism mm -hmm. in Europe that is based on anti-black racism. There yeah. is a fear of of blackness yeah. here because of the unknown. Exactly, and also because of race, like institutional racism, and how. Yeah, black people are just, we're just a threat now, you know. Mm. Police brutality, for instance, is a good reflection of that. Um, but yeah, and so, so those people, sorry, those people, um, so people coming here, seeking asylum, fleeing persecution, conflict, victims of colonization, environmental disaster, mm -hmm. they come here asking for asylum and then they're trapped in this island until they're granted asylum. And it can take years, many of them have rejection, And they have to live in the most horrible living condition. Like they mm -hmm. have, they're, they're constantly being denied their human rights. And so being a refugee and an asylum seeker is already hard. Mm -hmm. But when you're a black refugee even or a black asylum seeker, it's even harder. Mm -hmm. And this is something I really wanted to talk to you about because obviously you've been working with many you've been supporting many black women mm -hmm. black uh, asylum seekers women you um you have many in your shelter mm -hmm. and yeah what do you how how can i ask that what do you think you know have you yeah is this something that you're being you're consciously aware of mm, yeah absolutely um The thing is that we, the more I talk about this topic with the girls, because with some of the girls I can talk about this, to yeah. others not because they really they don't want to talk about it, because it's really emotion. Like you have to be really emotionally involved, so sometimes it's too hard for them, and even for me also, because I don't have the answers and I'm racist myself also. And it's funny you say that because I, as a black as a black European activist on the island, mm -hmm. who's in supporting black asylum seekers and black refugee. When I when I meet my community, um, this is the f one of the first things they will tell yeah, me about. But not me. If I don't first establish a really good relationship and connection, build on trust, they will never talk about this. Yeah. Because I'm white. Of course. Yeah. And I'm the one. Like I'm the th the threat. I'm like the police. I'm. Yeah. So they will never be like, oh yeah, um, all white are racist. Yeah. Or, But with me, this is one of the first things I always yeah. mention, you know how, because as a black European here on the island, I am also myself a victim of racism and mm. racial profiling. But they, they cannot believe, like even if, when you show your passport, they're like, no, 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 no. You like mean they, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they I wouldn't say they can't really believe it. I, I yeah, but they're like, mm. No, they do trust yeah? me. They just, um, I don't think the issue is there, to be honest. I've never had this situation where they wouldn't believe I was from from Europe and they wouldn't believe that I had the passport. Even with the fire? Um, no, with the fire, also because I've been working here for two years. Okay. So the first time I went to the camp in 2019, I was walking around just looking for, I guess I was looking for black people because mm -hmm. I've been working in Athens before 
and I knew how how bad the situation there was, so I went there and I I ran into a group of single uh, single African women. James was one of them, mm-hmm. and I just started talking to them, and it wasn't they weren't shocked that I had a passport, uh, and I was born in France. They were more happy to see me, and mm-hmm. to see that you know black Europeans are aware of their situation mm-hmm. you know so most of the time when i mean, interact with my communities here it's more from like they are happy to see me you know they, are, yes. they treat me like family especially because like i am quite young so they treat me as their little sisters like i have many mamas here who yeah. are cooking for me who are like wanting to do my hair uh, so it's very it's a real community and you know, there is something very present amongst white human, like the volunteers and humanitarian workers, is that there is a huge gap between them and the population they're helping. Yes. They don't fully identify with mm-hmm. them. You know, they see the, they see the refugee population, the refugee population, including its asylum seekers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. refugees, as people who need saving. Mm-hmm. I don't see them as, as people. Mm-hmm. So most of the time they deny their humanity, especially if they're black. Mm. And I don't have that. I don't have that gap because I fully identify with mm-hmm. the people I'm yeah. here to support. I'm not here to save them. I'm only here to re-engage mm-hmm. with my, my privilege with them. You mm-hmm. know, My privileges can benefit all of us. Mm-hmm. And me fighting and working to support my communities here is also me fighting for myself. Mm-hmm. Because I, as a black European woman, is also constantly a victim of racism wherever I go in Europe. And this is a reality that is very shocking for them, for my communities here, because they think that... The reason I say communities is because, you know, there is many different African communities here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they assume that Europe is the dream. You yeah. know, that you are in Europe, you have money, you have opportunities, mm. it's going to be fine, you know, everything is fine, your life is good. And so when I have this conversation with them and I tell them about, about my realities, they are very shocked, but yet they can identify with it because mm. of their experiences here. And obviously in Africa, racism is also a thing, but here it's very, it's such a thing that you will be, you will be denied your humanity. Mm. You know, in Africa, you have your communities and you, yeah. your life is going to be hard in a different way. And I don't exactly. know how to articulate this. But so it will not be hard because of racism. It will be it hard. It is going to be hard. It's going to be a different kind of, you're going to experience racism differently. Because if you talk about, if you think about Africa, you have to think about slavery, colonization. Yeah, and so yeah. it's also very present. But, and I don't know how to articulate this. So I don't want to say, um, I don't want to <laughs> say it's the wrong thing. But from my understanding, here it's just very, very different and it's very real. And it's based on, like, your, your color, like, physical, like, you know, when people see you, they will t- treat you differently. In yes. And also, we are living in, uh, in the Western world, so mm-hmm. it's, it's mostly white people, you know. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> 90%. Yeah, exactly. When in Africa, you have... You have ninety percent black people. <laughs> exactly, and so yeah, so this is very shocking for them. Like, I remember I had a conversation with some of the women who wanted to do my hairs, and I just I wasn't comfortable enough to take my hair in front of everyone, and they didn't understand. They were like, you know, we need to do your hair, like just take them out, and and I tried to make them understand why I wouldn't just take my hair out like this, and like the feeling of shame I had attached to showing my real hair as a result of being a black European woman who grew up in, in Europe in a, in a white dominated area. And they just, Oof. they didn't get it, you know? Because for them it's normal. But then what they experience there as victims, direct victims of colonization mm-hmm. is different from what I experienced because- yeah. You I, were born in France. Exactly. And um, so institutional racism and the refugee population, you know, it is impacting black asylum seekers and black refugees on this island so bad. Yeah, their mental health are really touched. Exactly. And it's coming from everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's happening inside of the camp. 
it's happening outside with the locals, especially with the authorities inside and mm. outside of the camp, and by the white volunteers and white humanitarian workers. Yeah, but it's why we need education. We do really need education so we can have a proper discussion and we can have this uncomfortable conversation that I had like one hour ago with you. Um, so we can think about it and change our behavior. And your role in it. Because exactly. the thing that many white people on this island don't realize it is what institutional racism is. Because we normalized it. And their role and complicity in institutional racism, in mm. white supremacy, and how they have white privileges that black people don't mm. have, and the impact on, of those privileges on black communities here. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've come across, across like, you, like, you've been using your white privilege here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> yes. And I... I suffer from that, mm-hmm. you know, as a black European woman who came on this island mm-hmm. to help people. Having black white volunteers using their privileges is gonna impact me as well because yeah. The the crazy thing is what we talked about uh, before is that I thought that by using my white privilege to help one girl, I was like okay, but I harm another girl. And, and also you were yeah. yeah, and you were telling those people that they should treat you better mm. because you are white, and mm. they should treat other people mm-hmm. in a worse way because they are black. Mm. It's like you know when people are racially profiling me, and they like one day I went inside this restaurant and I was with some of my friends from Moria Camp, and we walked inside and I wanted to buy food for us, and the guy in the restaurant. He took our orders, like he prepared them, and then we wanted to sit down and eat the food inside of the restaurant. But he came to us and he said, you can't stay here, you have to leave, because we don't want people from Moria. <laughs> That's crazy, so he cooked for you, you and paid exactly. everything, but... And yeah. You know, part of me wanted to be like, I'm not from Moria, but no, because what was I saying, that I'm still better than... Like, my people, just because I, I have a, the privilege of having a passport, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. I was like, I told him he had no right, and then we had a, we didn't have an argument, because I just didn't, because it's a lot of emotional labor, so I, we just left. Um, but it happened a couple of times, you know, where I was stopped, because I was assumed by people to be a refugee, and then they would treat me differently mm. than if they knew I was from France. Yeah. You know, and I didn't want to be like, well, I'm from France, so you know, I'm not like the rest of my community, so you should treat me mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. How horrible. Yeah. I remember once we were uh, walking around together and I had one of my friends coming to you and she was just talking to you like you were a, like child. I was a child. Hey, yeah. how are you? I and I was so yes, shocked. I was yeah. like, what the hell is going on? Why do you have to talk to them like, like they were I'm a child? child. Or... And I was so shocked. I was like, Are you talking to all the residents like this? Because how harming it is. And how disrespectful. How disrespectful and how harming and deeply traumatizing. Yeah. And you know, safety is not just about being in a country where you're free from persecution. Obviously, it plays a big role, an important role. But it's also feeling safe in terms of feeling accepting. Feeling yeah. seen, not feeling like you're been, you're constantly gonna be discriminated against because of your your skin color. But that's, if you think about it, just because of your skin color, you're being treated differently. Yeah, it's just crazy. And it's happening in the camp as well. It's a reality. Black people mm-hmm. are not safe within the camp. No, Last no. year, so many black people got stabbed. Oh yeah, yeah, that was really really bad. It was very bad, yeah, and the authority no. didn't want to do anything. For no, them. the police were just in front of the of them, like and the Afghan community were stabbing them, and they did not, just they didn't stop them or they they didn't do anything. Yeah, because the police is also very violent with black people. Yeah, but the, how can you sleep at night knowing that in front of your eyes you someone yeah, got stabbed in front of the asylum office within in yeah, the, remember, camp, yeah, and the yeah, police yeah. office for like a while because they didn't feel safe because so one of them yeah. got stabbed so they went there yeah i remember that incident because i helped 
one of yeah, the guys we were who together, got stabbed. Yeah. yeah, his name is Douglas, and Douglas was stabbed seven, t- six times in his belly, and it, it like reaches organs mm. only because he was sitting in in the camp and he had a phone in his hand, and someone from another community tried to come and steal his phone, and the amount of neglect that Douglas had to go through was horrible. Because yeah. just being a refugee and or an asylum seeker is a, um, it's a health. What's the word I'm looking for? It's gonna put you at risk anyway. But mm. if you're black, you're gonna be neglected to an extent that it might cost your life. Yes, exactly. Because he went to the hospital and then after one week he was asked to go back to the camp, even though he didn't heal properly, he didn't yeah. recover. His organs were deeply yeah, touched. Yeah, and they were in. I remember the infection was he horrible. He got an infection after when he left. Yeah. Obviously, he didn't go back to, to the camp because a friend of and I we were able to like, arrange something, uh, but he still had an infection. Mm, yeah, yeah. I remember one of the guys died because of yeah. it, and it was really traumatizing because he was just eating food. Yeah. He was doing anything. Yeah. And he died just because of that. He was 18. Yeah. He, he was from the Ivory Coast. And he just came out of the prison. Yeah. And this is another issue. And yeah, this is very, very saddening. And it's, it's been happening a lot. But another issue with black asylum seekers is that when they come here asking for refugee status, a lot of them are put into prison because they're yeah. coming from countries that are not recognized as, as being dangerous. As being dangerous. Yeah. So for instance, you have a Togolese community here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're very, like, they're a minority. It's like, like, as of right now, it's only 20 of them. My mom, part of my family comes from Togo. So when I met them, I felt like, I, I found my brothers and my sisters, you know. And so back in the old Moria, there was a prison. Mm. Most of them, when they came to in, in this island asking for asylum, yeah, they were put directly into, into prison, prison for three months. Yeah, I remember because I worked uh, in the prison a uh, few days and I was doing some casework with them and I was uh, asking them, why are you here in prison? <laughs> they were telling me, just because I'm from Togo. And that was crazy. Yeah, that was just crazy. Yeah. Just because you come from... A country that is not dangerous, or you don't have that a is war. Not deemed dangerous because it's like yeah, yeah. yeah those people of are victims of like. They're not here because they want to be they here. here Nobody leaves their country just because of the sake of it. No, no, no. They didn't want to be here, and this is something that the that is very present in in Europe, and that is impacting black asylum seekers. Is that you know, because of institutional racism and um, and how most African people coming to the Western world after colonization were directly labeled as economic migrants, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. generating fear that they were coming to Europe to steal opportunities. This is still impacting people who are fleeing. Mm-hmm, yes. And so the Greek government and people here are treating black, refu- black asylum seekers, even black refugees, are par- as parasites you know, economic yeah. migrant people who came here only to better their life, not mm-hmm. people who are fleeing. Um, yeah, and this narrative is surviving in the Western world because of the lack of acknowledgement of how much wealth from Africa lives in Western cities. And that, you know, they, that people in Europe cannot see how the comfort of the white man was built upon the back of the black man's suffering mm. and how what the white man did to Africa is more than just create economic hardship and comic theft. They also put um, the system they put into place corrupted Africa governments to serve the white man interest. It's created an environment of fear in which most opposition was met with violence, suppressed and countered with systemic and political murder. Mm. And uh, um, exactly. Yeah, so you have most in most cases and of course i'm generalizing so this is not true for everyone but in most cases even in the case of an african living upon the land of their ancestors through the process of colonization they have become a stateless person Mm. and because they don't come from conflicts that are from like places that are 
seen by the Western world as being like conf- like places of conflict. Mm-hmm. They are not being granted asylum. Yeah. Because who is defining what a refugee is? Exactly. It's a Western man. Yes. Based on fears and prejudice of stereotypes and institutional racism. racism yeah. Always and forever. Yeah, always and forever. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was wondering, because obviously you are aware of this dynamic um, and you've seen how institutional racism is impacting black people on the island. Um, and you've witnessed, have you witnessed anti-black racism on this island? Like, have you witnessed racist accidents? And how did you in, react to that? In Lesbos? Yeah. Oh, yes. A lot, and I think most of them I was with you. Um, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, a couple of them you were with yeah. me. But this is why I'm asking you now how did you react to that? How did you use your white privilege mm. to react to those, to those incidents? I remember once, well, the story that I told you, like um, talking with a police officer um, in Moria and um, well, the new Moria and he was just screaming at me all the time. Mm. And I was like, the thing that you're doing, they're not right, they're not correct. And I used my white privilege to go in front of the line and to talk to this police officer and tell them and tell him, listen, what you're doing is not correct. You have to stop shouting and screaming to everybody because you know, because you're screaming that you're going to be listened. And so just stop it. That was the recent case. Another one was... I remember a volunteer, oof, that was pissed me off <laughs> so much. I was in a party and uh, a volunteer was, um, I'm not going to say the NGO, but he was telling. Yeah. Well, most NGOs on this island. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is another topic. Um, but he was part of an NGO and um, I was telling him, oh, I know someone from Cameroon that is willing to teach. And I think she can be a really good teacher. And he told me, well, I don't think he's really, it's really good to have a refugee teaching. And I was like, why? Because mentally, she's not stable. Because she doesn't know how to do it. And because of the, all the papers and blah, blah, blah. So how do you know she's not capable of doing that? That was my question. And I asked him that question. I was like, how do you know? Do you know her case? I think he made this decision based on the fact that she was from Cameroon. Absolutely. Because of course. This is another issue on this island. It's like you have other communities who, who are given opportunities mm-hmm. to work among, like, uh, amongst organizations. But for black people, it's harder. And that's crazy. Because within NGOs, they're putting more people... Um, from other communities than black, black communities yeah. and again even in the worst scenario in the worst situations black people will suffer more than other communities of course. and these communities like all the asylum seekers and refugees of the asylum mm-hmm. are going through horrible all of them like, like the conditions they are exposed to the amount of neglect that they are exposed mm-hmm. to is is like it's just terrible. Yes. And but if you're a black refugee and a black asylum seeker, yeah, it's just gonna be even worse. Yeah, and you will not have a job because you're black, or you don't ha- you don't have this opportunity to pass an interview because you you're black. You can't a house. Or you can- That's crazy. Just because of the color of your skin. It's institutional racism. Yeah. So yeah, and you know how, you know, some things that happens when we talk about institutional racism and incident of racism and how racism is killing people, black people, is that the conversation is centered around black people experiences, which is very important important because we need to amplify their mm-hmm. voices because mm-hmm. they've been through racism. Racism is a real thing and we are here to testify of it. It's a but, daily thing. Yeah. But I found that we are not having conversation of like white people are not having conversation about how they're co- being complicit in it, how they are perpetrating it. Because most of the times we don't know that we're complicit. 
you know, this morning when I had this conversation with you, yeah. I didn't know that you were complicit. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really uncomfortable. But and if shocked. you say that you are aware of racism, it is mm. your duty mm-hmm. to take responsibility yeah. and educate yourself. Yeah. You have a lot of unlearning to do. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is very present on this island amongst white people. They are not willing to do that work. Mm. They expect black people to tell them about everything and to mm. teach them about how they're supposed to to help us and all of those mm. things. But they don't question their role in it and how they are benefiting mm. from it. And I think that's an issue. Because yeah. how many times have you been silent, for instance? Mm, a lot. Just to be comf- in my comfort zone. And this is, do you realize how this mm. is part of the problem? Yeah, when you're silent, is oppression also. Silence is violence. Mm. Many times I was in town working with my friend who calls himself anti-black, uh, who says that they're like against anti-black racism. And when I was experiencing something very racist in front of them, they didn't do anything. But mm. then they were the first one to tell those incidents to other mm. people, like, yes, racism is very real. You know, no, mm-hmm. if you, you have to take daily action. Yeah. You have to take daily action. It's like climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, people, we, like, and there's people who are like not willing to recognize that climate change is real. But for those who realize climate change is real and it's been like environmental disasters have killed many people, mm. you know, it's forcing people to flee. So we are, people are all, they're willing to take daily action to target that issue. Mm-hmm. For instance, we do recycling, and even though recycling is not going to solve climate change, it helps. It, everybody thinks, assumes that it helps because it helps with pollution, and pollution mm-hmm. is one of the reasons that clim- there is climate change. And we are taking those daily action. What about racism? Racism mm-hmm. is killed, and is killing more people mm-hmm. than environmental disaster and climate change will. Mm. Well, I don't want to, like, I, I'm not saying this as, like, a true fact, but, you know, like, racism yeah, yeah, yeah. is as, as yeah. like, devastating than, like... Impact on people's lives. Yeah, life. exactly. And where are those daily actions? Yeah. And it's not up to me to tell you what daily action you, can, you should do. It's up to you to challenge yeah. your complicity in that, to unlearn, to mm. challenge other, other white people. Also yeah. because you have an important role, you have an important position on this island. Yeah, and to go out of your comfort zone and learn and just, I think by talking to other people, you can just go out of your comfort zone and acknowledge that Yes, because you're white, and I'm sorry to say that, but you are racist. Yeah. And I remember talking about this with one of my friends in Spain, and he was like, but you're the less racist person I ever met, la la la. I was like, maybe I'm not that racist, but I'm still... You're not actively racist, but you're still... Yeah, because of, again, this white privilege, and again, this institutional racism that I've been living in. Do you think you tend, you have a tendency to act as a white savior? Uh, no, because I, re- well, maybe some, I don't know. I, I think I don't. <laughs> maybe I do. But I, I, if I do act like a white savior, oof. Um, I, I try to not act like a white savior because I hate this idea of saving someone. And... I hate this concept of, of white savior, this idea of colonialism, neocolonialism, racism. There, there's so many racism around this behavior. Yeah. So the definition of a white savior, mm-hmm. according to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. is... Um, so the term white savior sometimes combined with savior complex to write white savior complex sorry sorry so it refers to a white person who provides help to non-white people in a so self-serving manner so as a white person do you think that you have that tendency to do that or to assume that the people who are here to help should be white should be white yeah no, I think that if you really want to help people that are here and you want really to understand them, 
you have at least to have half white, half black, at least. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to have more people coming from different backgrounds, different countries and different cultures and more black people yeah. coming here. We really do need. I so agree. To change, if you really want to have like a social change and political change, you need more black people yeah. here on the island to help these communities. And I've, obviously I've been, like, the majority of people, of white people on this island are white saviour. Mm. And, you know, for me, they, they travel here to save people. They didn't travel here to... Mm. Uh, so they think that they have the best intention to help. And their focus is on the refugee community. But it's not on the core of the problem created by, by people like them, mm. by white people, you know. Um... Yeah, people that come from their community, white, Western, and Christian, and they're driven by the idea that um, that they're here to rescue people, and that the rescuer are people that look like them. Mm. The reason I say that is because this is very real. You know, this is why most people are assuming that I can't. What most white people are assuming that I can't be an activist because I'm black. You mm. know, because they assume that it's people like them. That yeah. are here to help, and the reason I mentioned that they don't want to fuck to face the core of the problem, mm -hmm. it's because the core of the problem, who was it created by? Yeah, by the white people. You know, and then white people came here to save us from mm -hmm. like issues that they've created. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's very embedded beliefs amongst white savior. You know that they're here to help. They're they're here to save. And it's very racist and it's very disturbing. And they also assume that black people, refugees, can't do anything for themselves. Mm. Which is absolutely crazy because it's absolutely not true. They're so resilient. And I had women in the shelter that I didn't have to do anything legally because they were doing all by themselves. And they just yeah. came... Like one, yesterday, I went to the port to accompany, to say goodbye to one of them. And she's amazing. And she came to the shelter like a few months ago. She did all by herself without telling me anything. And why why and should that be shocking to you? No, no. But wait, the, the thing is that she didn't tell me anything. And she just came one day with the passport and I did everything. And then I had the opposite with another woman telling me I cannot do this I cannot do this because she was with another NGO before that patronized her and told her that she needs legal support she needs help for us volunteers white From volunteers you, yeah, yeah. so this girl that just left yesterday to go to Athens nobody told her like you cannot do that yourself and this other girl she's been told for like the exactly whole time she's been and not verbally Sometimes not even verbally, just by the way people treat her. Yeah, that she can't do that. Exactly. So, and this is the thing, you know, those white people, they come here and they're like, "We're here to save you. You can't help yourself." Mm. You know, and for them, it's they can opt out and opt in of this reality very quick. Mm -hmm. So you know, they're making, they're not focusing on the core of the problem. Mm -hmm. They're here to save people. They provide support that they. They are forcing, like, they are, in a way, they are forcing some people, some asylum seekers and some refugees to be dependent on them. But if they leave, you know, the problem, the core of the problem is still here. Yeah. And if the help they are providing is going to be gone. So it's not sustainable. You know, no. you need to mm -mm. give, like, it's just, the it's tools. not just an humbling experience. You need, those people, like, refugees and asylum seekers, they are capable of helping themselves. But we're taking everything from them. Mm -hmm. We're violating, Europe is violating their human rights. Mm -hmm. And then we're making them, we're patronizing them. Mm -hmm. We're making them feel like they're dependent. You cannot do this you without me. This, yes. And it's, yeah, this mentality is just doing more harm than good on this population. And I'm not challenging voluntarism because I think that... Um, it's just that the way they volunteer, volunteering is it's just being misused. Yeah, I think there's a lack of education. Yeah. About humanitarian work, communication, social integration, racism, 
Yeah, it's just about education, yeah. I think. And also, most white people who come here in proximity to people, to refugees, you know, they are just, they are being, they are being praised for that work. Back home, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So much. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's just making that idea that refugees can't help themselves even more real, mm. you know. Like, oh, without you, they wouldn't make it. Yeah, but not all heroes wear caps. You have mm. refugees and asylum seekers who've been trying to help their communities. Yeah, who've so. been trying to raise awareness, who've been trying to do that work that people, other pe white people assume that they can't do. Um, and yeah, because an issue that I have also with uh, the situation here is that Western documentation on life in the camp and the situation for refugees in the Eigen Iceland is the only measure of reality. Mm -hmm. Everything goes through the eye of the Westerner. Westerner mm -hmm. So yeah. it, it contributes to that narrative that refugee and asylum seekers can't speak on their own behalf. Yeah, and you have so many books uh, of volunteers that came here on the island and they just wrote a book because of they wanted to explain their uh, experience here on the island they wanted just to yeah share the experience and again like you've been here for one month and you're writing a book of how life-changing has been to be on the island <laughs> it's just like i would love to read a book of a resident yes exactly Okay, Marie, <laughs> I think we're going to have uh, to stop now because it's been almost an hour. I know, and we can talk about this like yes, three more hours. I can talk about this for a few more hours. Um, so thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for uh, challenging your idea on race and your role and your complicity in those systems. And... Yes, um, yeah, thank you for coming here and for having that conversation with me and also for being willing, for accepting to be called out, mm -hmm. you know, on your whiteness. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this beautiful conversation and your patience. And because I don't think it's really easy to have all the time, like, white people asking you questions about racism it's emotional labor for me exactly so yeah. thank you thank well, you thank you so yes this was ophelia and marie for the unheard <laughs> refugee voices bye guys Bisous. bye bye <laughs>